Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hits! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns everybody welcome back to cover two this is dan kadar of course joined by browns beat writer nate ulrich nate uh how are you today good dan what's up well we're going to talk a lot of football today our last podcast that we did Uh, We talked a lot of contract stuff, and justly so. You know, the the Browns are in a weird position with a bunch of contracts, and they have to figure it out. So we talked about that last week. We'll touch on Baker Mayfield a little bit this week, but today it's going to be a lot of just straight football talk. Uh, So if you've been looking forward to that, this is the show for you. Before we get to that, Head over to the Canton Reps website. Uh, On their sports page, they have a tab for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The the team over there did a tremendous job covering a weekend's worth of, you know, a million inductions this year. They have a bunch of coverage of it, so check that out. They did a really nice job with all of it. So, again, that's over on the Canton Rep. Our colleagues uh, on their sports page, they have a Pro Football Hall of Fame tab. So check that out. It's good stuff, but... We are here today to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Nate, like you mentioned before we started recording, we are 10 practices in. So we're going to talk about some of your takeaways that you've seen at practices so far. We didn't want to do this initially, you know, when practice first started because there, were, there weren't pads. It, it's basically jog through kind of stuff. But now we're, you know, in more real football action. So let, let's just take it from... From the top, if you had to pick out, you know, one thing that's really struck you at, at training camp so far this year, what has it been? Well, first of all, I mean, yeah, we're 10 practices in. Uh, we're recording on Monday morning. Uh, so they've been in pads for nearly a week now. They, they were in pads for the first time uh, last Tuesday. And really the thing that stood out more than anything is Kevin Stefanski is being very smart about this camp. I'm not going to call it boring because there are developments every day. There are things to learn every day, but uneventful, I think is a, is a good adjective for it. Mm. <laughs> They're getting ready for, you know, the three preseason games. They didn't have any last year. And of course they're not getting ready for four preseason games. They're getting ready for 17 regular season games. And the Browns also, are counting on extending 
their season into the playoffs again. So they're getting ready for a real marathon and the practice has been conducted, uh, conducted in training camp accordingly. So I think that's number one. You know, they've been very smart. They're holding some guys out. Odell Beckham Jr. headlines the list. You know, he hasn't been in any team drills. So they're being very smart about this. And I don't think anybody should really have any problem with it. I think Browns fans really need to look at the big picture and not get caught up in who's doing what in training camp as much as, hey, they've got to get these guys of the season. Um, you know, it's August 9th right now. They didn't even start training camp practices until August 14th last year, like the full scale practices because of the pandemic shortened off season. And then they had a ramp up period. So, you know, they're still more than a month away from that September 12th opener at Kansas City. And I think Kevin Stefanski and and the staff and the sports scientists are are really mindful of all of this and trying to be really smart about training camp so that's the first thing aside from that before before you move on sorry to cut you off elaborate on what you mean like is it is it just like less hitting than than you you're used to seeing a training camps is it slower paced what what's um how would you define the i guess the boring nature a little bit to training camps so oh far. yeah i mean there's not tackling to the ground it is slower pace um you know they do some live uh periods um but not truly live what i mean by live is you know they're in pads and 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 they're running close to full speed um but you know not not tackling to the ground or anything like that and and um there's just not a ton of you know full go intense uh 11 on 11s you know that there there's a a lot of learning there's a lot of instruction there's a lot of jog through and that's just the kind of way they're doing it and there's also you know again the usage of guys you know so Mm -hmm. um odell obviously is the headliner there but they're they're being smart with a lot of guys and and you know you a guy like Denzel Ward hasn't practiced the last two days and Stefanski said it's normal rest. Um, so, you know, that raises some eyebrows cause you wonder if he's dealing with a little bit of an injury, but I think that they're just being really cautious with a, a lot of guys, especially the guys they know they're going to count on heavily to be starters every single game when the, when it really counts. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, there hasn't been a fight. I'll say that, Dan. I mean, part of part of the less intense nature of this uh, camp through ten practices, there hasn't been a fight. I mean, that's a lot of practices to not have a fight in a training camp, you know. And because I'm saying this, they're probably going to have a fight when they get back on the field Tuesday. But to make it to ten without one, I think is interesting, and I think it speaks to the dialed down nature of this. Um, so. I would just call it a smart, uneventful camp so far. And I, I'm of the belief that that is the way to go. I just don't think you need to be killing your guys in camp. You know, you increase the risk of injury. Um, of course, there's always going to be injury in football. You know, but so far, you know, I'd say Anthony Walker Jr. having a knee injury that was a little bit of a scare. and and, and But now he doesn't need surgery and, you know, 
Stefanski said he'd be out a week plus. That's kind of been the biggest injury of camp so far. So that's pretty good, you know, through 10 practices. Grant Delpit's dealing with a hamstring injury, which is a bummer because he's also coming back from that ruptured Achilles tendon. He's missed five mm-hmm. consecutive practices. So, you know, obviously the the Browns would like him to, to be out there more and, and coming back from that ruptured Achilles, he'd probably get every other day off. But with the hamstring, they're going to take it extra slow with him. Uh, you know, Ronnie Harrison dealing with a hamstring, Anthony Schwartz dealing with a hamstring, you know, so there's been guys like that who have been dealing with some stuff, some soft tissue stuff, um, but nothing major. So I think that's all really good news and the Browns want to keep it, you know, like that as much as possible. Of course, there's only so much you can control when you're out there uh, in, a, in a contact sport, uh, but, you know, you want to limit any injury when you can. So that's kind of what I'm talking about, Dan. I'm talking about, you know, yeah. dialing the back, being smart, not fighting. <laughs> you know, yeah, that makes sense. That. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious. Um, so beyond the, you know, slower paced nature, and I agree with you, I think that's the way to go, particularly with a team that is um, much more established than it has been in the past. But um, beyond kind of the pacing and the, the style of, of training camp so far that, that Stefanski's pushing out, what what are some of your other things that you're really noticing? Is there a player that's popping off? Is there a player that you thought would be better than, than he's been? From a player standpoint, what are you seeing? Yeah, there's a lot of players. Let me get into real quick a big picture on, on offense and defense. Yeah. Um, the offense I thought would be ahead – of the defense, usually it's the opposite. You always hear it's the opposite in training camp. But I thought with the continuity of the offense and all the new faces on defense that you might see the offense having the upper hand more times than not. Well, I I was wrong, uh, I think, overall, because this is an upgraded defense. And, you know, Baker Mayfield and the offense have certainly looked good at times, but they're really being tested and challenged by the new faces on this defense and I do think that we're still seeing the defense be ahead of the offense, despite, uh, you know, the, the factors that made me uh, think that it could be the opposite this year. So I do think the defense, even with all the new faces, still has that typical upper hand in training camp uh, overall right now. And I think that kind of showed up in the orange and brown practice at the stadium on Sunday. So. You know, Baker Mayfield in the ones went against the second team defense uh, in in a pair of two minute drills. And, you know, Baker Mayfield and company didn't do anything. You know, the first drive was killed by a, a drop by tight end Austin Hooper. He had a, a really rough day at the stadium. He had three drops total. And the second one, um, it was a four and out. Mayfield was was a little off throwing, you know, incomplete passes along the sideline that were just going out of bounds. Um, so I do think the defense is still a little bit ahead. And then as far as players, um, wow, I could go through some of the top, you know, performances so far. Donovan Peoples-Jones is the camp MVP so far. Uh, second year wide receiver, six round pick last year uh, out of Michigan. He is a draft steal. I don't need to see anything else. I mean, he is a draft steal in the sixth round. If you get a sixth rounder who catches a game-winning touchdown uh, 
uh, pass for you like he did last season against the Bengals in week seven. And he's having the camp that he's having. Um, he's already a steal, you know, so you don't need anything else. He's already a six round steal. Now, what can he become beyond that? He can become the number three receiver this year. He's obviously in that competition with Rashard Higgins, uh, Kadero Hodge, Anthony Schwartz to a lesser extent because of his hamstring injury, but a guy they mm-hmm. still want to get off the field because of his speed. But I'd say Donovan Peoples-Jones has established himself as the as the leader in that competition. Wow. And when they lined up, now OBJ has not been in team drills, Dan, but they did line up in 11-on-11 for a little jog through early in the orange and brown practice. It was OBJ Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones in that look. So, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, there's evidence that he is ahead in this number three uh, receiver competition. And I wrote an analysis over the weekend. He has succession plan written all over him. I'm not carving a bust for him yet. I'm not sending him to Canton. But I am saying (laughs) that he is emerging as the kind of guy you can factor into your future planning. So... You don't necessarily, um, you know, need to make all the moves you would to bring in outside guys if you don't stick with, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. or Jarvis Landry, like, beyond this season, like, because of contract situations and extensions are going to have coming up and the salary cap. Like, you don't necessarily need to sign a big-name free agent receiver if that happens you don't necessarily need to invest an early round draft pick uh on a receiver if that happens he i think donovan people's jones is a factor in this i think that certainly you're going to bring in other guys um but i think he's part of the equation i think he's in the picture uh, of how you would think about this and we'll find out more obviously if he establishes himself as a number three receiver and takes the next step from his rookie year then the Browns might say, well, you know, we think he can ascend to number two in a year or in a couple years. So, you know, I just think that, um, you know, when you get a draft steal, the Browns haven't had this happen forever. But when you get a draft steal, um, you know, especially late like that, you just set yourself up for, for so much success because there's not a lot of pressure on a guy. And he can come in and he can learn. And look at the receiver room they put him in. He can learn from Beckham. He can learn from Landry. And, oh, by the way, his position coach is a really good one. Uh, Chad O'Shea won three Super Bowls with the Patriots as their receivers coach. So he comes in under the radar. He comes in with low pressure. And look how you can develop him. You know, So I think they're in a really good spot with Donovan Peoples-Jones. And he's been the camp MVP so far. I can talk about other guys, but... Um, I also don't want to ramble on forever. <laughs> well, my my first reaction to hearing about Donovan Peoples-Jones was two things. Number one, I always love the idea late in drafts of teams um, drafting and taking a flyer on players who were very high-end blue-chip high school recruits who, for whatever reason, uh, didn't become superstars in college and that was people's jones if i recall he was the number one wide receiver recruit in his high school class he goes to michigan and michigan's quarterback play under jim harbaugh and jim harbaugh at michigan period has been terrible so that that was a great flyer and you're right he is looking like a steal 
So my my follow-up question about wide receiver three for you is, at this point, what can Rashard Higgins do? Can he try and wrestle that, that spot back? Because I, I think it was his last year pretty, pretty handily. Um, or is Peebles Jones just just flat out a better player? I mean, he to me he just seems a little bigger. He's faster, you know, more dynamic than Rashard Higgins, who's more of a, a possession type of guy. Is there anything Higgins can do to kind of steal his job back? Quite frankly. Well, sure. I mean, there's things Higgins can do, and that's being Higgins and having the chemistry that he has with Baker Mayfield. Higgins has had a good camp, too. Made a diving touchdown catch in that orange and brown practice against Greedy Williams in the end zone. Uh, you know, Higgins just has that chemistry. I mean, Baker has it with with Higgins better than anybody else. He has really good chemistry with Jarvis Landry, too. Obviously, still waiting to get consistently on the same page with Baker, with uh, Odell Beckham Jr., and we talked about that a million times. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think, has established himself as a, a more of a go-to guy with Baker. Baker is very complimentary of him. You know, he, you know, all these guys got together in the offseason. You know, Peoples-Jones was down there in, in, in Florida at House Athlete. Uh, also was in Austin, Texas, uh, Baker's hometown for, you know, more workouts the skill guys had together. So what can Higgins do, you know? I mean, Higgins is reliable and he's got the experience. So, you know, and they also they obviously like him and re-signed him for another year. So, yeah, Higgins is is definitely going to be a contributor as he as he always is. You know, I'm not um, I'm not writing him off or anything. I'm just talking about the emergence of Donovan Peoples Jones, a guy who you know probably has better physical skills. Um, than Higgins, but Higgins is just a savvy guy who just knows how to how to get open and play well, and and I think he's he's definitely going to be a valuable part of the receiving core, even if he isn't the number three. You know, last year he wasn't the number three; it was Kaderil Hodge, yeah, yeah. Hodge coming in the season, and then but Higgins still made an impact. Peoples Jones still made an impact. I mean, so obviously some of that had to do with Odell getting hurt with the torn ACL October 25th against the Bengals. And, you know, that opened the door more for Higgins and Peoples Jones. But, you know, you're not going to get through a season with everybody healthy. So you got to have that kind of depth. So, yeah, I, I do think, Dan, that, that Higgins uh, – is a little bit behind in that number three competition to Peoples Jones, but I still think there's no reason for Higgins to panic, anybody else involved to panic, because he always finds a way to make a difference when he does get opportunities, and I still see opportunities for him, even if he's not the number three all the time. And you know what? Another thing I want to say, Dan, like this number three, like whoever is the quote-unquote number three, it might be a week-to-week thing. It might be based sure. on matchups. You know, so the people's Jones right now looks like that leader in the competition, but it's not like that guy uh, necessarily needs to be the same exact guy every week. Yeah, that's a good point. And really what we're what we're talking about is a, a good problem. You know, a competition between your number three and number four spot at wide receiver. But so that that's a good thing. And yeah, it's a I, great I wanna... problem. I mean, the Browns have yeah. a lot of great problems. You at the opening said they have weird contract situations or something. 
Those are yes. those are good problems. They have weird sure. contract situations because they finally have players worth paying. They have cornerstones <laughs> they want to keep that are foundational to their success. Like the like weird. You're saying weird because we're not used to the Browns having these good problems. And that like can't true. being boring. Like that's a good problem. Like yeah. because they're not looking for their starting quarterback. They're starting left tackle. You know they're starting receivers. They're starting you know. Right. Defensive ends like we're right. used to these crazy, you know, position battles across the board because there aren't like established players everywhere. I mean, camp's totally different. This is what covering a real NFL team is like. This is what talking about a real NFL team is like. Sure. Let me so let me bounce this off to you. And, and after this, I think we'll probably talk defense and Jadavian Clowney. Do the Browns have a number one tight end problem in let me let me explain what I mean by that question. Austin Hooper last year signed the big deal, four years, $42 million. Um, he was just okay, I thought, last year. He, he was not dynamic like you see out of some of the other big-time money tight ends in the NFL. He's not George Kittle. He's not Darren Waller. Um and quite frankly, he just, it seemed like he would catch the ball and just go down. And that was actually the case. He he had an appendectomy, uh, and, and he was afraid of getting hit. And our colleague Marla Reidenauer uh, wrote about that last week, I believe. So to me, year one of Austin Hooper was kind of, to some degree, a lost year. And now just reading the coverage you know, he like you mentioned earlier, he struggled on Sunday. Three, three drops to me is significant. Do the Browns have a, a number one tight end problem? Is there any way that David and Joku can kind of sort of rise from the dead, really, um, and and be the guy that the Browns always thought or hoped he would be? Is Harrison Bryant going to peel away snaps from from Austin Hooper? What's your assessment on the, the tight end position right now? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, yes. when we had our season review last year, I named Austin Hooper my most disappointing player. And it's not because he didn't have some good moments. It's just because for what he, what he did, for what he was getting paid with that contract, the expectations, being a two-time Pro Bowler, the second biggest you know free agent splash that, that Andrew Berry made last year just behind Jack Conklin, yeah, that was a disappointment. That wasn't meeting expectations. But I qualified it, right? I said, hey, the guy had an appendectomy. Like, this was a weird season, obviously, for everyone because of COVID. But Austin Hooper just had to miss two games because, like, he had to have an organ removed. Like, that was weird, right? I mean, (laughs) I've covered it before with Alex Mack, the center, you know, great center having that done. But tight end's a little Mm -hmm. bit different. And, you know, you're getting tackled. Offensive line, you're obviously (laughs) a very physical job being in the middle of the trenches like Mac, but still a little bit different. So I asked Austin Hooper about that last week, and he said, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I had the full confidence running over the middle with stitches, you know, up and down my stomach. So you're right, Dan, like that was a thing for him last year, and he also had a neck injury. Uh, He missed a game later in the season. So it was a uh, it was a hard year for him, so I don't I don't think it's completely fair to 
be really down on him because there were extenuating circumstances last year. And I think it's important to keep him in mind. And, you know, having said that, you know, the practice at the stadium was a disaster for him. Three drops, obviously not good, but I don't want to overreact to one practice either. You know, I, I, I do think that there is an opening though, and that Sunday was kind of a, a, a microcosm of the idea that there's an opening for David Njoku to gain ground and really uh, gain a more significant role. You know, I mean, if you look at the snaps last year, Austin Hooper had way more than any other tight end. And then Harrison Bryant actually had more than David Njoku. Uh, you know, and in the playoffs, David Njoku, I think, played pretty well and and had a little bit more playing time than, than Harrison Bryant. Um, but, you know, Austin Hooper was still at the top there. So, I think David Njoku does have a chance because he is ultra talented and he just hasn't reached his potential. Uh, even five, this is five years in and you're wondering if he's ever going to, but it's also a contract year. So we need to keep that in mind. If ever it's going to happen for David Njoku, it would happen in this contract year. Um, I think that he's had a really good camp. He would be one of the standouts on offense so far. And he had a really good practice at the stadium. And so did Harrison Bryant. They both caught a couple touchdown passes. So is it a problem? Well, here's what I would say. It's disappointing and it is somewhat of a problem if the big money you invested in Austin Hooper, um, you know, ends up not being a good move. But I still think you can be okay at tight end in the 2021 season because I think you have a really motivated David Njoku. And I think Harrison Bryant, he had a really good start to the season but fizzled last year as a rookie. I still think there's a lot of upside there. And I think that between the three of them, you can get what you need out of the position. Maybe it's more of a platoon than Austin Hooper being the definitive definitive number one like he was last season. Hmm. I I do need to mention this because I I went through and I took the time to break down some stats or look at some stats for tight ends. And I feel like the amount of time I took doing this, Nate, I, I, I need to mention it on the podcast to justify the time it took me. So I, I don't know if there's a reaction to this or I'm just going to blabber on and we can move on. But Austin Hooper last year, 46 catches, 435 yards, four touchdowns. Now, those are, those are the stats that anybody can look up. However when you really kind of look at his numbers compared to the other top tight ends in the NFL, I, I think it's concerning, you know, his yards after catch average per catch last year, obviously was 3.78 yards. That is a yard or more less than Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson and George Kittle. George Kittle was at over six yards, um, yards after catch for the 49ers last year. Obviously, he's on a different level, as is Travis Kelsey, who was at 5.55 yards after catch average uh, for the Chiefs. Again, Austin Hooper's was 3.78. Now, maybe a lot of that can be attributed to the, the appendectomy. I don't know, but 
Um, the NFL is a results-based thing. So that's the results. And perhaps more concerning for me is the the catch percentage that he had. Uh, it was 64%. He was targeted 70 times, 46 catches, like I said. Travis Kelsey's at 72. Darren Waller's at just under 74. George Kittle's at 76. I, I just don't know if the contract the Browns gave Austin Hooper is going to turn out to be a good one. It's what I'm getting at here. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm also just optimistic about a player like Harrison Bryant, that he can be a, a better player in the end, you know, when their careers are over. But the early returns for Austin Hooper from E Nate are kind of kind of whatever. I, I think he's just kind of an okay player that the Browns may have overpaid. Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page there in total agreement right now. But I also do think that he can be better than last year. And for the reasons I explained, you know, appendix blew up on him, neck injury. There was some weird stuff. You know, he can't be much worse than he was in that practice. And and I I know it's going to be easy to beat him up. I mean, you're going to be seeing a lot of negative stuff on Twitter about him and a lot of conversations about is he just a total bust of a free agent signing? I don't want to overreact to one practice. Um but, yeah, I mean, there are other talented guys in that room that we've talked about. And honestly, Dan, like, the Browns want to evolve on offense. And Kevin Stefanski talked about that from the time the season ended and, you know, with the loss to Kansas City. And maybe you're not as tight end reliant this year. I mean, if we're talking about them having four, five reliable, good receivers, and we're really looking at that number three job that we talked about earlier and saying maybe it's a week-to-week thing based on matchups and wow you know dpj is ascending but you don't want to not play higgins maybe you play more (laughs) three receiver sets you know maybe you're more in 11 personnel than you were you know um i think that, that, that there is an opportunity for the browns to get exactly what they want to get done on offense even if austin hooper uh, doesn't turn it around and prove to be worth the money. You know, I just think you're, you got you got some guys in that tight end room and David Njoku in a contract year is something I don't think we should overlook. And then I think you're looking better at receiver than you were a year ago, especially with Odell back. Yeah, that's a good point. And look, your your way of looking at things is usually a lot more right than mine. Um, but I, I think I'm, we're agreeing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm probably being too reactionary by thinking that Austin Hooper's deal is going to end up being a bad one for the Browns. Um, well, but we'll I, see. I feel I kind of feel vindicated because I I, <laughs> I believe that you were surprised when I named him my, my most disappointing player of 2020. I don't I don't I don't remember anything from, well, from that long. Ago. <laughs> I, I seem to remember you were surprised by that. And now you're you've got the stats and you're like, man, he, he really isn't living up to the contract. I, I, I'm totally agreeing with you. I just don't think this is a death knell for him. It was a bad practice, but I'm not ready to say, yeah, there's no way this can can end up looking good. Um, yeah, doesn't look good right now. But I think. Oh. The big picture. All I know. Yeah, the big picture. I just think the Browns offense can still be very potent. Here's all I know. Austin Hooper is going to make 
$8.25 million this season, according to SpotRack. That's a lot. In 2022, he's set to make uh, $5 million more than that. So uh, his contract is going to get larger over the next two years if, if the Browns hang on to him. And if the results are not there, you, to me, you just start playing the game of, man, what else could that money have gone to? You know, particularly going back to my my weird contracts uh, comment. Well, having Austin Hooper mean you don't have Wyatt Teller, for instance. You know, so right. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. We'll, we'll I, I just don't – you're not going to hit on every um, draft pick. Sure. You're not going to hit on every free agent signing. Sure. Um, but you would like to hit on the, the big splashes. And this was certainly one of the big splashes so far in this regime. So I'm, yeah. I'm totally with you. It will sting if he continues to disappoint. Yeah. Um, another big, another big splash. And they just, that's my transition to the defense. Go for it. Go for um, it. yeah. Big splash to Davian Clowney. Uh, yeah. I know he's just a one year contract, but I think there's a lot expected of this guy, a former top pick former superstar uh, college football player who's kind of had a average NFL career. He's only played one full season. And that was 2017. He's had injuries. His production from a sack standpoint has not been what you'd expect about of a player of that caliber, but he's here in Cleveland on a one-year deal. Nate, I got to tell you, everything I've read from training camp all the snaps that I've seen online or wherever, uh, have, he's looked great. Am I crazy being extremely excited about Jadavian Clowney and the Browns finally having a really legit, really good number two defensive end opposite Miles Garrett? Uh, I think you're a little bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> and here's the reason why. Clowney is... A physical freak, you know, just like Miles Garrett, different kind of physical freak, but definitely a physical freak. A guy you look at and say, yes, he went number one overall, and that makes total sense. Look at him. And that translates, uh, and it still translates, you know, seven seasons in or whatever, eight seasons in, and, you know, this will be his eighth, and age 28, it still translates. The key is he's healthy right now, and how long is that going to last? Right. Because that's the elephant in the room of every conversation about Jadavian Clowney is he's only played one full season in his NFL career. That was in 2017. So he said it the other day when he talked at camp and said, you know, <laughs> being healthy is fun. It's just something always pops up. And it's been like that. And it popped up last year for him. And he had the torn meniscus, uh, played only half the season with the tight ends, played part of those eight games that he did appear in hurt and then had the surgery on December 6th. But feels rejuvenated, feels good, and the arrow is up right now. You just need to have him stay healthy, and that just hasn't been the case throughout his career. So you're not crazy to be excited about the talent, but you're probably crazy to think that, you know, he's just going to get through a season completely healthy because it just doesn't happen for him. And, you know, it doesn't happen for many people either. And that's why Tack McKinley is a really important figure in this defense. Bad news. I want to talk about the biggest disappointments on defense. Then I'm going sure. to look at Tack McKinley being gone. Tack McKinley, he's gone for personal reasons. And, um, you know, the Browns are bear, being very um, 
respectful of that. Um, there's a great um, level and degree of privacy with this. Um, they're just not giving in, any information. And the, the reason why that's a disappointment is because when you signed him uh, in March, they, they really were counting on him to be a key piece of this defense. And they actually, you know, at the time it was like, hey, here's New- Miles Garrett's, you know, running mate here at, at, at defensive end. And then later we're able to get Clowney. But you still had to factor Tack as a big piece into this equation because of the Clowney injury history. And and I think the Browns thinking is, hey, between Clowney and Tack, we're going to have what we need at the end opposite Miles, knowing that, you know, injuries happen and there's the history of Clowney. Uh, knowing that even Tack last year had the groin injury, bounce around the league, failed physicals with other teams. But knowing that these two guys are really hungry and, and Clowney and Tack for different reasons and and want to prove that they can still be, you know, guys who can live up to their physical abilities and the potential that way. So I think, you know, Tech being out is is, is a blow. And, um, you know, if he makes it back uh, soon and can get into camp and, and you know, kind of, um, you know, gain some stability with his new team, then, then, you know, that can all be solved in plenty of time for the season. But Stefanski was not willing to put a time frame on it. I asked him, I asked him a couple times the other day and he said, he just can't put a time frame on. And I said, I finally said, you know, can you even say that, he, that he's expected to be back by in ready in time for, for the start of the season. And Stefanski would only say that he's hopeful about that. You know, he wouldn't say that, yes, um, you know, we have all, all the reasons to believe that, you know, we all signs are pointing out. He just said he's hopeful. So, you know, that that's less than, you know, a, a guarantee for sure. So that's kind of where we're at with that. I will say that I, I did um, talk to Jack Conklin the other day with some other reporters about Clowney and the battles they've had in training camp and Jack Conklin being a, a reigning all pro right tackle. His words carry a lot of weight. And, you know, he's talking about Clowney looking spry and healthy and the, the, I think key observation that he made was Clowney has not lost a step. And that's very important in my mind because guys do lose steps as they get older. And Clowney's 28 now, which, you know, in in the NFL, um, you know, that's not young. And especially for a guy who's had like, what, five knee surgeries, um, you know, his, his, the age of his knees are probably way older than 28. We know he started his, his, uh, his career in, in 2014 with the microfracture surgery. So he's talked about that being the worst surgery, the worst injury you can possibly get. So we know that those knees are, uh, uh, you know, you know, they, they have that long history of being worn down and injured. And, and I think um, Conklin saying that he hasn't lost a step is, is noteworthy. And I actually went through kind of the history of those two guys. I got an analysis that we posted this morning um, what I, uh, what I did with the, the, um, great benefit of NFL game pass. I, and I, I was able to look up all the games they've, they faced each other in. And it wasn't that many because clowney has been hurt a lot. Right. But when they were both in the AFC South and, and Clowney played for the Texans and Conklin for the Titans, they, they faced each other four times. So I went through NFL game pass and watch. Uh, some of the key plays in 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 all four of those games uh, made notes uh, kind of chronicled what Clowney did in those games the impact he made 
and then, you know, tied it together with what Conklin's seen in this training camp and kind of just why he has the respect he has for Clowney. Um, so that was kind of a fun study. And, you know, basically what I learned is, you know, Conklin is totally justified in saying the things he says about Clowney. The high praise is all warranted because Clowney's been a game wrecker uh, in a lot of those matchups. Uh, and when he was healthy, you know, he was able to capitalize on his talent. And that's what's happening in this camp. So that's all great. But because that injury history is there, I think you really need Tack McKinley to come back if you want this D-line to be what you think it can be. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll be interested to see the development of McKinley uh, when when he returns, which is hopefully soon. But like you said, you wrote the analysis piece on Conklin and, and Clowney, and that was really a good read. I read that right before we started recording, actually. Um, that So that's up on the site now, beaconjournal.com slash sports slash browns. Our colleague Marla Ridenauer has one on an analysis piece on Greg Newsom, the rookie cornerback from Northwestern. That's another good read. So, Nate, how, how are you perceiving where the team is at right now with the cornerback position? Is, is Greg Newsom standing out? Is Greedy Williams uh, fending him off for cornerback two? Does it really matter because they'll play three cornerbacks so often? Where's your, where are you at with the cornerback play right now? I think it matters because I think it's a real competition for the starting job, you know, opposite Denzel Ward. And uh, I would say right now that nobody's really made the big move yet. You know, Greedy Williams has been in there with the first team defense. And the key development with Greedy is when they started wearing pads and he was in there and he was in team drills with pads on uh, after missing all of last season with that nerve damage in a shoulder. And he felt like it was a real milestone, and he feels like he's really shown that he's a fighter. Um, you know, he talked about these things, and he's very happy that he was able to to get back in there with in the 11-on-11s, wearing pads, much different than, you know, what we saw in the spring with OTAs and mandatory minicamp. When he was in there, it was encouraging, but putting on the pads, given the, the injury that he suffered with the, you know, nerve damage, it was all about how's he going to fare, um, you know, when there's contact and it's not like, again, there's not tackling the, to the ground and he probably hasn't, you know, hit full force yet, but he's in there and he says there's no restrictions on him. So that's all really good and, and gives him that fighting chance against Greg Newsom. I think Marla said she's still betting on Greg Newsom to win that starting job. And I would agree. Um, you know, it hasn't been that way yet, but there's a lot of time left. Like I said, more than a month until the opener, and, you know, maybe Greedy does hold him off. Maybe Greedy does enough to hold him off to begin the season. But obviously it's a matter, just a matter of uh, of when, not if, that I think Greg Newsom gets that shot. And I think he's looked really good. He continues to look the part. Um, the speed is evident. Uh, he, he really, um, it looks like a guy who has really good technique. Um, he just looks like he belongs, you know. Sure, he's going to take rookie lumps, but... He passes the eyeball test, uh, you know, when you when you see him out there on the field going against NFL receivers. And and Troy Hill, uh, I think, had a lot of interesting stuff to say about him the other day that resonated with me. I mean, he said that the Newsom is humble, hardworking. He's a star in the making, um, that he's really asking questions 
attaching himself to the veterans, um, just all the things you want to hear uh, about a rookie. So I think that the arrow is definitely up. You know, I, I can't say the same about Jeremiah Usakoromoa. You know, the second round pick, a lot of hype around him, obviously. But, you know, he began camp on the COVID list and, you know, he's really been um, worked in slowly since then. So he hasn't popped at all, but I think Newsom's looked good so far. Um, obviously, you know, JOK can catch up, but it's hard for rookies. It's hard when they miss those, you know, first, you know, five or so practices. I think that's what he missed, five practices at training camp. He was able to do a lot of stuff virtually. You know, that was a benefit, um, you know, of last year that the coaches now have this Zoom experience, these virtual walkthroughs under the belt. It was able to try to keep them up to speed as much as possible that way, but it's just obviously not the same. So, you know, that brings me to, I, I do want to mention a couple other defensive standouts here while I'm rambling, Dan, but Mac Wilson, mm-hmm. he is yep. really good. Really got to give him a lot of credit. He's also a new father. Congratulations to him. Mac Wilson, the second was born on Wednesday. Um, the day before that Mac Wilson made what I call the defensive play of camp so far. And he was covering Najoku in an 11 on 11 red zone um and jumped in the front of the end zone to to pick off a pass that Mayfield intended for Najoku uh you know just beyond the goal line really nice athletic play uh by Mac and he's holding down that weak side linebacker job that that Jeremiah Usukoromoa um you know obviously is is pursuing but you know it's not a high speed chase at this point because of the the COVID list uh placement um that jok uh had to deal with and the strong play of mac so i think the arrow is definitely up on mac and the changes that he made to his body in the off season are translating right now and you know we've seen him have good training camps before in the past um you know and it, it hasn't necessarily translated to the type of season that he's wanted but you got to remember and this is what i talked about with him um you know over the phone in the build up to training camp and he's since uh, uh, expounded on that in, in other interviews uh, in, in meeting with the media at camp. And it's that he just was not himself last year after that hyperextended knee in camp, missed the first two games, but was never himself, was never 100% the rest of the way. And was really what he called in a dark place mentally that just took a toll on him, you know, um, not being able to make the plays and be the type of player that he, he thought he could be in his second year. Uh, that was very difficult for him. And he was just kind of rejuvenated late in the year when he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. And now we have Mac Wilson, the second here. Mac Wilson senior is, is, is performing really well in camp. Um, John Johnson, the third, I mean, you, you want to talk about free, free agent splashes, obviously Clowney looking good right now. So is JJ three. He's really looking good. He almost every practice he's making an impact play, an interception or a nice breakup. He's constantly talking. He's constantly talking. Uh, he looks like a guy who's adding instant leadership. Uh, so I think that that he has had a really good camp. The disappointment at safety is that Delpit hasn't been in there very much at all with him. Missed the last five practices, like I said earlier, dealing with the hamstring and coming off the ruptured Achilles. And Ronnie Harrison's missed a lot of time with the hamstring injury too. So those key three safeties that you want to see together haven't really been together much at all and Javante Moffitt's really you know have been running with that first team defense because Sheldrick Redwine is also hurt he has an ankle injury so 
kind of the top four safeties, three out of four of them are hurt, opening the door for Moffitt to, to spend a lot of time with JJ3, uh, you know, in the back end for the ones. So that's kind of what's going on there at safety. But JJ3 is really standing out in a good way, you know, amid all the other injuries in that group. Um, so those are kind of some of the key defenders. I'd say the three who've really stood out in a positive way uh, through the first 10 practices would be Clowney, Wilson, and uh, John Johnson the third. Well, that, that's encouraging to hear, especially about Johnson, considering, you know, the, the contract that they gave him and how big of a need that was this offseason. So, but Nate, that, that's a lot of injury stuff you just brought up. Um, it's particularly disappointing for me personally with Delpit. I, I was so excited about following him this training camp and seeing how he comes along. But injuries are, are part of the game. So with, I guess kind of with injuries in mind, looking at Saturday's first preseason game, we're not going to go heavy into you know who and what to watch, but how much should we temper our expectations on who we'll see in this game, given, you know, kind of injuries and really, you know, if, if the nature of training camp is any indication, maybe Kevin Stefanski slow playing preseason a little bit. What what should we expect uh, on Saturday with the Browns at the Jaguars? Yeah, I would temper expectations big time. Stefanski hasn't revealed any of these plans uh, publicly, but I just get the sense from what we talked about, you know, uneventful training camp you call it boring if you want i still like to learn out there so i'm not bored but you know i get it i get it when people want to call it boring because go boring in a good way being smart being conservative with guys trying to get them to the season and yeah there are a lot of soft tissue injuries like we talked about but nothing catastrophic so far so that's the positive and you don't want to put guys out there in these preseason games when you're approaching camp the way you are it just doesn't add up it doesn't mesh to just play your starters uh, in this in these preseason games. Maybe you do a little bit. Maybe you do a little bit. Um, but I don't even think that you're going to see them in, in three games. Obviously, in traditional old way coaches used to do, you didn't see the starters in the fourth game, right? Now there are only three. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see them, if we don't see a lot of key guys um, in the preseason at all. Uh, I think this is going to look different than it ever has. Uh, for a lot of teams, and I think the Browns are going to be one of the teams that, that dials it way back, knowing that, again, they want to play, you know, not just 17 games in the regular season, but, you know, at least a few more in the playoffs. That's where they think they can go, and they're going to prepare accordingly. So I, I, I do not expect to see starters very much, if at all. I think there's zero chance for Odell Beckham Jr. to play. He hasn't been in team drills yet, um, other than – this doesn't count, but he lined up, like I said, in a team drill uh, just for a, a, a mere jog through for a few reps uh, Sunday at the stadium. So he's not been in any real team drills. There's, in my mind, no chance he's going to be in Jacksonville. I don't think he's going to be in preseason games at all, and I think that'll be the case for a lot of key guys. Uh, we'll see if Stefanski ever, you know, commits to that publicly ahead of any of these games. Um. If not, it's going to be a guessing game, and that's where my guess is. I think that guess is spot on. Um, now, look, there, 
to me, there are, there are some things to watch in this game. Maybe they're more, you're watching Jaguars stuff. If you're just a general NFL fan, you know, Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick in the draft, Urban Meyer, um, coaching in his first NFL game, stuff like that. But from a Brown standpoint, you know, you, you, ha- you have me intrigued by Donovan Peoples-Jones a whole lot. So I, I have to imagine he'll get some snaps in this game, considering, you know, he's a, a second-year player who was taken in the sixth round last year. So the, I guess if, if I were to pick out one Browns player to focus on in that game, it would be DPJ. So uh, what else, Nate? Any, anything else you want to touch on this week? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll pick somebody. Um, number sure. twenty-five, Demetric Felton. I'll pick him. Um, I think that you know why why would you want to see Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt in in a preseason game? Well, I mean, sure. would it would it be fun? Uh, sure, it's fun to watch them anytime. But would it be stupid? <laughs> Hell yes, it would be stupid. Uh, <laughs> but Demetric Felton's cool uh, and interesting because. They have uh, two positions, and they're really impressed with what he's doing. They really like him. They like his ability. Obviously, he has the bandwidth to handle all that. Um, And he's just, you know, he's physically an interesting player um, because of that versatility. So, yeah, they'll have him running back. They have him at receiver. They they flip-flop days on him. Um, So, rookie sixth-round pick, you know, hey, could Andrew Barry strike gold in the sixth round two years in a row? I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, again, he is already a steal. I mean, you, uh, most six-round picks don't make the team. This guy has already contributed in a major way and in a way that you that you can't, you know, uh, expect out of the sixth round. You certainly don't write it in ink that a guy's going to do that. He's already done it. Can Felton become a factor? And Felton is in a competition, I think, with Dearness Johnson for that you know, third running back role. Obviously, special teams is a is a huge factor in it too. Uh, so I would watch Felton uh, in the preseason, and I'll pick him as the guy to watch. A guy who should get plenty of opportunities, um, and a guy who is interesting for all the reasons I just said. So I pick number twenty five. Um, do you want to talk about the contract stuff real quick, Dan, to kind of wrap up because? I know we wanted to be more football, but you had mentioned before we hit record that you wanted to talk some about it. I, I do. Um, and, and Demetric Felton, by the way, is, is a good shout on on who else to watch on Saturday. Again, that game is at 7 o'clock in Jacksonville. We'll have full coverage of the, of the game leading up to it and afterward over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. But, yes, um, contract stuff is – is only intriguing to me right now, Nate. And I, I think that you're right that Denzel Ward is going to be next. And not to say his deal is whatever, but I, I think it'll get done. It'll be done and it'll be fine. But to me, the, the Baker Mayfield contract and, and where that stands, no movement really. And then the Buffalo Bills go out and sign Josh Allen to a, a gigantic deal. Uh, both in terms of years, total money, and guaranteed money. He's getting uh, six years, $258 million. So that's a, a roughly $43 million a year average and $150 million guaranteed. All of those are huge, big, massive superstar quarterback numbers. 
Nate, do you, do you think the Browns are now looking at a, a thing where, you know, we we kind of thought, or at least I did, you're looking at between 35 and $40 million for Baker Mayfield. Has the price tag gone up based on what Josh Allen just got from Buffalo? Um, what do you think the impact of that deal is on, on the Browns and Mayfield? I think you just said it. I mean, in my mind, yes. I mean, I wrote it in my takeaways from the stadium practice because Baker talked. I was going 35 to 40 is kind of the ballpark, the market. And now with Allen getting 43, second to only Patrick Mahomes at 45 on that uh, average annual salary, I've adjusted my expectations for Baker's contract. And, and I wrote that, you know, I think if you guess 35 to 40, which I did, I think you guessed too low. I think that this resets it. And I think it's going to be at least 40 for Baker. So that to me, that's the big takeaway from the Josh Allen deal coming down Friday. It's that I have a little bit different prediction for what Baker's going to get. And I would be really surprised if it is 35 to 40, at this point, I think it's going to be 40 being the floor. And I won't be surprised if it really just lands at 40, you know. Um, it's going to happen, and I don't know when. And I got an update yesterday from people in the know, or and it's status quo. Um, there have been no meaningful contract talks between the Browns and, and Camp Baker, Uh and things can heat up quickly, uh, but there hasn't been movement. On the flip side, we know, and I said this in the last podcast, written about it, talked about it, but we know because Denzel Ward said it on the record in the spring, his agent has been in talks uh, about a contract extension with the Browns. So I just think that the Browns have had the ball rolling. They've started uh, down the Denzel Ward extension path a while ago. They got Nick Chubb done. I just think that the logical order would, of these things and the sequencing would say that Denzel Ward would be next. Um, and that then they'll get to Baker. It, it's going to be a franchise record contract when they get to the Baker because he's a quarterback, you know, and, and it's more complicated um, than it is with Denzel. Not to say, like you said, you just don't dismiss Denzel contract and say oh well it's a slam dunk it's like the easiest thing ever but it it's just it's going to be less complicated you know inherently um any other position <laughs> other than quarterback when you compare it with quarterback so i think that's that's where we're at i i, I think denzel is is on deck here and or he's at the plate and baker's on deck however you want to look at that uh, i think that's the right analogy i do know what on deck <laughs> means i think I just think it used it wrong to begin. Yeah, I think Denzel Ward's next and then Baker after that. But, hey, these are the foundational pieces I'm talking about. The franchise views these guys as cornerstones. Wyatt Teller, Ronnie Harrison, nice players, right? But I don't know if they're going to be long-term Cleveland Browns players because you can't pay everyone. And, you know, they might – uh, be of the mindset in the front office that, hey, we can find another right guard who might not be as good as Wyatt Teller, but who can get the job done, especially because Bill Callahan is one of the best, if not the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. And look, we gave him this great, you know, project um, developmental guy in James Hudson. You know, I'm not saying James Hudson is Wyatt Teller, but you draft James Hudson in the fourth round thinking that Bill Callahan might be able to turn him into a serviceable starter down the road. 
maybe there's a six session plan in the works there. You can obviously, you know, look, look elsewhere, um, you know, to fill that void. Uh, and, and with Harrison, you know, you've got kind of an embarrassment of riches at safety if, and it's a big if, but if Grant Delpit can really fully rebound from that Achilles injury, because then you have him and, and John Johnson the third, and, and, the, and, and you're pretty well set there. Um, so, you know, can you really pay big money to a third safety? You know, probably not. So I, I think that, you know, Teller and Harrison are, are on a much different tier than Denzel Ward. And then Baker, just by the nature of being a quarterback, is in a tier all by himself. But Baker and Denzel Ward, there's a comfort level. They're, they're both under contract for two more seasons because they've had their fifth-year option picked up in April. They know what that guaranteed money is going to be in 2022 for them. And the Browns would like to get them done sooner than later. I believe they will. But, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. And I don't think there's any need to panic uh, on the side of the team or on the side of the players because there is time and there is a comfort level and I think a, a level of trust that, that both sides want these partnerships to continue into the future. And, you know, John Harbaugh, I saw a tweet pop up uh today while we were on the recording earlier dan and he was asked by baltimore reporters about lamar jackson's potential contract extension coming down because you know we know that now that josh allen's done everybody's eyes shift toward the other big quarterbacks in that class obviously lamar jackson baker mayfield and harbaugh said there's really not a hurry for us he's going to be our quarterback for years to come and i think that's exactly how the browns feel about baker and Baker yesterday at the stadium said that he's happy for Josh Allen. And, you know, he, he basically echoed what he's been echoing all along. He's focused on winning. He's not worried about the contract. And he was even asked about would he be okay if the contract's negotiated during the season? Because Andrew Barry said earlier in training camp that he's not opposed to that. You know, he left the door open for negotiating during the season. Some teams won't. Barry said he's not going to be so dogmatic that he wouldn't do that. So Baker said, as far as negotiations during the season, he says he's not doing those talks, so he doesn't give a damn. You know, obviously it's on his agents. So I think that we could see this, like I've said, uh, you know, earlier in the summer, spill into, you know, the early parts of the season and wouldn't be surprised if something actually gets done then as opposed to before the season. Yeah, you, you've been consistent saying that all along. And the, the further we get into the year, the, the the more and more it's looking like that that could be the case here. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, that's something that Nate and, and everybody else will continue to uh, report on and, and cover. But there, there's a whole lot more to the Cleveland Browns going on right now than just contracts. So I hope this uh, podcast, as we kind of uh, filled that Fill the football void for you a little bit more than last week's probably did. Uh, if you need more stuff, there's there's a ton of great coverage over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. I mentioned the two analysis pieces by Nate and Marla. Those are really good reads. I, I like those. Um, there's a lot of coverage from the, the Orange and Brown scrimmage. So if you missed any of that, there's more details there than we, we had time to talk about. Um, there, there's a bunch of stuff there, so check it out. Beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns this week. Like I said, the, the team will have uh, lead-up coverage to preseason game number one, which again is Saturday night. 
7 o'clock in Jacksonville. So for now, that is going to do it for Cover 2. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.